This podcast was produced in association with FunEmploymentRadio.com. Greetings from the dark, dank of the internet, nerds, geeks, and gamers. I am Jason Chevron Chops, and this is the Well-Adjusted Gamer Podcast. It's just whittle old me this week, primed to share some of my recent gaming experiences, news bits, and I'm going to help preview some future items of interest. In the last week or so, I was able to swing through the Pig Squad Global Game Jam Play Party to see and play a bunch of the games born over the Global Game Jam weekend. I've been playing a bunch of the new PC release, Final Fantasy XII, huh? Anyone? Dabbling with some more retro gaming, and I even watched a little Altered Carbon on Netflix. Something else quick and interesting you should check out, the Metal Lark Comic Con that's happening in Medford on May 12th. The con will cover all of the bases with plenty of local vendors, local artists, video games, a cosplay contest, and a bunch of celebrity guests. Find out more at MeadowLarkComicCon.com. And if you're going to be in the area and want to attend the con, let me know. I may have an inside line on some free passes, but you gotta say so. And you'll need to earn them. (laughs) Stay tuned for more details as the date grows nearer. Also, if you're a streamer in the area, let me know. I came across a project that's looking for local streamers with decent followings to do a roundtable discussion for money. Just shoot me an email for more details. Now, before we dive in, let's review the usual call to action. Tell your friends about the podcast. Share it on Facebook and Twitter. Write some reviews. Subscribe. Email me. Everything is at WAGPodcast and the email is WAGPodcastPDX at gmail.com. This be the Well-Adjusted Gamer Podcast. So, first up on the docket today, the Pig Squad Global Game Jam Play Party. Whew, that's a mouthful. The Global Game Jam is a nonprofit group that arranges a literal global public game jam every year. It invites people from anywhere in the world to network and try to bang out a hopefully working video game concept in only 48 hours. This year, there were over 800 jam sites. Pig Squad steps up the game by providing a forum and facility for some local devs to work in. The limited access space helps keep the networking, energy, and flow of ideas going throughout the weekend. Folks can also take part remotely as well, and absolutely anyone can take the jam as a personal challenge wherever they may be. This specific event is a follow-up to the Global Game Jam that allows anyone interested to check out some of the games that were born during the jam. From what I could tell, there were at least a dozen games on display representing every genre imaginable and all different styles of graphics and gameplay. My time at the event was kind of limited that night, so after scouting the whole shebang, I dropped in on a couple games to get more info and even play a little. 
Some of the games I actually played included CVT, Continuously Volatile Transmission. This was the first game I tried. It's basically a top-down racer a la Micro Machines or RC Pro-Am kind of thing with numerous upgrades that make the game faster, more fun, or just more of a pain in the ass. The controls were super sensitive, which could also be made near impossible with items like slinky suspensions, reverse controls, and worse. It's a pretty fun concept that I could see making a, I don't know, a fun little party racer for split screen with some buddies. We'll see how the long-term gameplay kind of develops with it, but overall, it was fun. It was a, a, a neat little concept, and especially with the trolling, that's something I haven't seen before in many games at all. Another one that I got to put my hands on was RAM, Random Access Memory. This game is a racing game in a crazy neon dream world. The tracks are like a twisted star road for Mario Kart or something out of the Wipeout series, and they appear just out of thin air in front of, just in front of the leader, adding to the, the challenge for whoever's in the lead. What I didn't mention is your vehicles are literally rams. They are big sheep with horns and <laughs> multicolored neon. It's a four-player split-screen game currently, and the madness ensues quite rapidly from there. It's already fun and challenging, like I said, for up to four players, with plans to add actual ramming, I think other kind of upgrades and stuff, and, of course, other game modes in the future. Another one that I put my hands on, um, actually before this event, it was kind of in between the jam and this actual live play party, was called Trains Mission. This one, it's a 2D pixelated or pixel art based game where you're on a train and someone's been murdered. The only way to solve this crime is the nebulous clues from other passengers, which are simplistic clues that include a descriptive image and a direction towards the front or rear of the train. Finding the pattern and combinations of these clues leads you to the potential killer, whom you then accuse of the crime, and then find out if you got the right person or not. The little bit that I played of it, it was just like a, a couple run-throughs. It's a very interesting concept. I love the art design. I love the, the, the way it's all set up. So it's pretty interesting, and I'd like to see where they take it from there. Some of the hands-off games that I got to put eyes on include House Inspector. Funny little play on words there. It's I-N hyphen S-P-E-C-T-R-E, -E, huh? As in ghost. In this game, you play as a ghost sneaking up on a resident and trying to scare them without being seen. You hide behind furniture, out of the line of sight, sneak up behind them, and get them to increase their fear meter until they leave the house. Another one was Rocket Dad, a wacky fast-paced dad-on-a-rocket simulator where you fly around the house with some very loose control and try to complete typical dad-like activities, just with a rocket strapped to your back. The graphics in that one were fun. There's tons of stuff blowing up and being tossed all over hell. Pretty neat, pretty fun. Another interesting one I saw, Depth. A 3D submarine fighter with fairly simple 3D graphics, but it reminded me of a little bit of Twisted Metal combined with the submarine minigame from Final Fantasy VII. There's the usual assortment of torpedoes and mines, but your vision is limited, so you have to send out sonar waves, which also reveal your location to other subs, and then you track these pulses and bubble trails from the enemy subs to move in for the kill. Another game I saw was called Dream House. 
This game was truly bizarre. It takes place in a rotatable three-dimensional box full of household items and rockets, and a full motion video of a lady on the wall. I don't know, it was, it was crazy. This is definitely a fever dream, but I watched someone else play and I don't think either of us really had a clue as to what the heck was going on. It was very trippy. I'm interested to see what they do with that concept. It was, it was different, it was weird. Another cool game, Sognar, S-O hyphen G-N-A-R. This one was a four-way split-screen um, competitive multiplayer game with pretty simple 8-bit style graphics where all you do is try to find and kill your opponents, but you can only see a tiny bit of the world because it's a four-way four split. Your hit points are always draining and there's recharge pads spread throughout the, the map. Those, though, when you use them, send out a wave that everybody else can see. That's basically how you track where other people are to try to run up to them and shoot them, but very challenging, very neat concept. Another good one to keep an eye on. Now, most, if not all of the games from the, the local Global Game Jam will be uploaded to the Pig Squad page on the Global Game Jam website. Just head over to pigsquad.com and hit the links. Also, on the Global Game Jam website, Basically, any game that's built out of this can be posted on there. So there's literally hundreds of games to check out. They range from just, I mean, proof of concept stuff or weird little art experiences like that dream house to, I mean, pretty thick fleshed out games that that's, that's a gross way to put it. But anyway, there's a lot to see and do and play. So do check it out. Moving on from there, how about some gaming news? These are just a couple of news items that caught my eye in the last few days that I thought might be interesting to share. First, oh, we're in a generation of classics reborn. With Crash Bandicoot's collection that came out recently, Shadow of the Colossus has been re-released, and Final Fantasy XII all hitting the modern consoles in modern form, why not pile on some more recent retro fun? First up, Burnout Paradise. The PS3 game from a number of years ago, it's one that I actually was just playing the other day on my PS3 after getting that thing going after six, eight years of sitting in a closet. This one will launch in March of this year. It supports 60 FPS across the board, all consoles, 4K where available, and is only going to be $40, which... I, I don't know, it seems kind of steep for such an older game, but it's, that's kind of the fair price for something that's not completely new and, and fresh. This is basically an upgraded version of an existing game, which most of these things have been, and I just paid $40 for Final Fantasy XII, so it's fair. It's a, a decent price. This also includes all of the DLC that was released for the game, except for the shortcut pack, and there's also gonna be a PC version. This is definitely a game that defies its generation because having just played the PS3 version not long ago, it's, I don't know, the graphics are very comparable to modern, modern stuff. It was something that came out late in the, I think late in the PS3's lifespan and it still impresses. It runs very well, it looks very good and especially the crash animations and the, the deformation on the cars. It was all really amazing and still impressive. So, interested to see what they can do with upgraded graphics and such. Another one that just was announced recently, it's still kind of, I don't know, maybe fake news, but possibly not. Probably not, actually. The likelihood is growing more and more every day. But 
Spyro. The Spyro series is going to get the Crash Bandicoot treatment where they'll fully go back and... I don't know what you... It's a remaster. That's that's the word. It's a fully remastered series of the Spyro games. The I think the one, two, three, something like that. But following the... In the footsteps of the Crash series, same developer is going to be working on this, this port, this upgrade. And like I said, the news on it is nebulous at best. It may be released in September to match with the... I think the 20th anniversary of the Spyro games. So something to keep an eye out for. Like I said, pretty, pretty rough, pretty, I don't know what you, what do you, what do you want to call it? Rumor-ish news, but still something very exciting, especially for fans of the series and good classic platforming. Now, one of the, the, the dark sheep out there, Metal Gear Survive. Ugh. This bastardization of Metal Gear by Konami is finally loose in the world, but guess what? Reviews had been delayed because Konami conveniently didn't update the servers to allow, to allow any of the media to actually play the game until it launched and everybody could play it. Almost like they were hiding something. That's, that's weird, huh? So, as of now, what, what I've seen is the game is always online, which sucks, but it's because the single and multiplayer inventory and stats overlap. So whatever you do in single player transfers over to multiplayer and vice versa. It uses all of the existing assets from Metal Gear Solid, the Phantom Pain, to create kind of a side world wherein the player has to establish a home base with defenses to protect them from marauding zombie-like creatures, which sounds nothing like any other game ever. I mean, nobody's doing that, right? Quests and exploration lead to new materials and such to upgrade your base and equipment. You can also team up with others online, though, to tackle more difficult survival challenges with greater rewards, which then also carry over to the single-player game. It honestly, after watching some gameplay, it's it, it does sound and look interesting. It's At least it has good bones, is, is kind of the key thing. It's built in-engine with a lot of carryover mechanics and such from Metal Gear Phantom Pain. So, it's still just a dirty proposition, though, considering how much just basically a cash grab it is. They just want to make some money back from their big investment in the Phantom Pain development. And after kicking Kojima and video games in general to the curb, it's just kind of greasy. I, I don't know. But from there, speaking of publishers getting the most out of their investments, Ubisoft made a pretty cool move, actually, in helping give birth to a new educational game using Assassin's Creed Origins assets. This new game consists of around 75 different tours that take players through all the facets of life in Egypt, minus the game's usual stealth, murder, and combat, and it serves as, a, I don't know, a kind of wonderful virtual museum. It makes me think of this one garbage game that I played once at a Egyptian museum like over 20 years ago. Oh, how far we've come. And I really wish I had this in sixth grade. I remember just studying the Egyptian lore and the gods and everything in sixth grade was one of the greatest experiences of school. So this is something that I would definitely look forward to. And it's pretty neat that they're doing it. It's, it's really in-depth. It's really cool. And it's actually pretty well factual based as opposed to like the the games typically are <laughs> from there moving on to games that i've actually been playing oh boy oh boy it's a big one so the last game that i've been playing 
kind of majorly was um, Ghost Recon Wildlands. I had a couple buddies, we were getting online, doing that whole thing, co-op and whatnot. Um, from there, I was really looking forward to Far Cry 5, which is still coming out in the next uh, month or so. In between, there's been, like I've talked about, a real doldrums of releases, but one that came late to the party after releasing on PS4 um, and 360? I don't know if it came out on Xbox or not. 360. But Final Fantasy XII. Final Fantasy XII has received the remaster treatment, and it came out, like I said, on PlayStation. I, I, I don't know if it came out on Xbox or not, but... A few weeks later, or a month or two later, found out, oh my god, it's coming out on PC too! So, I grabbed that day one. Like I said, it was it was $40 during the launch week, but now I think it's back up to $50, so snooze and lose on that one, suckers. But, this game is exactly what I needed. It is so freaking good, so solid, it's, I, I don't know. I slept on this one, kind of. I played it before on PS2. I bought like the Steelbook Collector's Edition when it came out, but I don't think I even made it 15 to 20 hours in. There was a really shitty boss fight in the jungle area that I, I couldn't remember enough of the detail. I knew that it had some like super OP stuff that it was doing. It was just gross and really turned me off of the game and I just never picked it up. There's probably other stuff that came out around then too that I was playing. So whatever it was, it went on the shelf and I never came back to it. So now I'm back to finish what I started. And boy, did I. So I've already gotten to that point and a little bit beyond. So I'm back in, I'm fully invested. I'm gonna do it this time. As for the game itself, wonderful graphics. Oh boy. So being that it's based off of a PlayStation 2 game, there's a little less to work with as far as like the core of the graphics go. It's got good bones, but the the polygons run short of detail, especially on some of the character models. You got hands that look like, I don't know, PlayStation 2 era stuff. Like I, I think of Grand Theft Auto back then had really bad like bread loafs for hands so it's it's not that bad but you definitely see it when you're looking up close on some things the textures on the other hand look beautiful they've been completely i don't know if they've redrawn anything or just went back to the original assets and just were able to upscale them to to show how just truly beautiful they are but everything just looks great there's still i mean everything's upscaled and sharp as glass shards. There's no slowdown, but it still follows some of the restrictions of the original game in terms of like distance fog and NPC and character enemy pop in like at a distance. Everything you can still see stuff draw in from not too far away. But I I wonder if that's maybe just something that was really hard coded into the engine that they didn't want to mess with or maybe it's there to like not mix up the gameplay being that you could see enemies from perhaps too far away, but overall, still great looking game. I love it. It runs at a full 60 frames or at least more than 30 as far as I can tell. I haven't run like my frame counter yet. And that's at maximum settings across the board. And this is on my 1050 Ti again. The soundtrack is completely updated. It's been fully reorchestrated using modern synths. I don't think they actually recorded like a live orchestra or anything for it. Possibly though, eh, maybe. 
The gameplay, like I said, is just super satisfying. It's fast in general, overall. It's a, it's a much quicker paced game than most of the Final Fantasies were up to that point. There's also, on the, the new versions, a turbo mode. On PC, I know you could do two time to four times um, speed. Not sure on the consoles, it's probably just limited to two times, but maybe not. But that makes it a lot more fun and faster moving through the endless dungeons that this game tosses you into. So when you're just grinding mobs, looking for items and treasure, or just trying to level up and whatnot, it makes that a much faster prospect. And when you're backtracking and going through other stuff, it's great to be able to just double and quadruple the time. So you just fly through these slower areas that really pad the, the hours of the game. The, um, for anyone familiar with it, the job systems changed from the original. They're now more, I don't know if it's strict or just exact, but bigger in ways too. So it's basically everything they wanted to do with the game originally that they had to kind of trim back or kind of mix up just to make their launch window. But now they've been able to, I mean, with 12 years of, of um, retrospect or whatever you want to call it, they've been able to build the game and the engine and the systems that they truly wanted at the time. There's... I believe more job classes now with more flexibility, but also a little bit more danger where you can make everyone the same job class. But obviously that comes with risks like not having good enough healing magic later on or not being able to do or sustain the kind of damage and stuff that later enemies do or just generally missing key abilities that could turn the tide in big boss fights. So it's a little risk reward but it's hard when you don't know what the hell you're doing. So first playthrough, you're probably going to screw stuff up. And it might be worth looking into maybe like a little walkthrough or how-to about how you should set up the characters online. Because, yeah, like I said, it's a little risky. And I've already found a couple characters that they're not broken or completely hamstringed, but they're just not my preference. Like, knowing more later of where I would have wanted these characters to go, it's it kind of sucks. But besides that, it's great. The systems overall just work great. It plays great. Let's talk downsides, though. This is a Final Fantasy game. Therefore, it's not going to be for everyone. It's not everybody's cup of tea. Back to the job system, there's not a lot of explanation of the perks and risks for each, and it's hard to think forward to usefulness. I mean, something sounds cool early on, like, oh yeah, I want this person with samurai swords, but you find out later, they can't do much outside of cast a few magic spells and do some heavy tank damage, but there's ways around that because you do unlock additional job slots later on. From there, part of the upgrade system is these license boards where you unlock your individual... Um, like armor abilities, actual like techniques and magic spells and whatnot on a grid-based thing that uses license points and you unlock your different abilities and hit point upgrades and whatnot. So you can control kind of the path of whatever characters. If you're looking for building up their defense, you can seek out all of the hit point upgrades and all the armor upgrades and accessories. Or if you want to look for what kind of special attacks and weapons and magic spells they get, you can chase those down too. It's very flexible in that regard. But if you go and unlock like, okay, I'm going to be a troll and I'm going to 
farm this person up and I'm gonna unlock all the top tier weapons on their license board. Well, that's fine and dandy, but you won't get those items until way later in the game. So it's kind of confusing and misleading. Like the things are there, but you can't use them. Same thing goes if you don't unlock something on the license board, but you find the item in the game, you can't use it until you unlock the corresponding license. That I feel is basically the better way to go is wait till you have items that you can't use and then track them down on the board once you figure out if they're gonna be useful for your situation or not. Now, as for actual factual Final Fantasy fans, this is kind of non-traditional gameplay. So depending on where you came into the series or where, where your favorites lie, it's gonna matter how you're gonna take this one, I think. It's not strictly turn-based and not wholly real-time either. It's not like Final Fantasy VI, VII, VIII, IX, or even X really, because those are all much more step-by-step, -step, even on the more active time modes. It's got shades of what Final Fantasy XV's systems are, just with the classic rotating customizable party and not just four permanent bros that you're basically stuck with. It's a transitional game in this way, that I really like still. It's been really satisfying to get in and play with it. You've got um, control over basically everyone, You, but you strictly control one person in the party as a leader. You can run them around however you want. You can make them do whatever you want, but then you could also give orders to the other characters as well, but it's all real time. So you're not gonna be fast enough to jump around between four people, giving them commands the whole time, introducing the Gambit system. The Gambit system unlocks basically a list of like kind of programming language in a way where you set up the, the circumstances of if an enemy is X, do this ability and basically set it up from there. And you set a priority from one to top to bottom, whatever you want to call it. And that's what those characters will do. So generally you set them to attack the party leader's target or you can set them up to cure any ally that drops below 50% health or use an ether when they run low on magic points. So you could set all these things to happen automatically and you could unlock additional slots of those gambits to really pad them for any kind of situation you might run into. You unlock more of those gambit abilities too, going through stores and shops and seeking them out, finding them in treasure chests or whatever, because from the start, you're limited. You can only do certain commands in certain combinations. As you unlock stuff, it opens up all this crazy spectrum of things where if an enemy is flying, you could have them use magic spells instead of trying to hit them with their sword. Or if it's an enemy that's weak to a certain kind of um, magic or whatever, you could have them cast that specifically. So great flexibility. And it's something that is just truly nice to have. It's almost like building your own AI bots to run around with you. Very nice, very customizable. This game, of course, is long. But it's also fat with endless dungeons indoor and out. There's a lot of repetitive assets in the dungeons that make it kind of numbing running around through them. That's where, again, that turbo mode comes in. It's really nice to have. There's also the difficulty curve, which definitely slaps you in the face after like 15, 10 to 15 hours, depending on how fast you're playing through it, where basically there's 
the first few chapters of the game that are really like entry um, intro modes to what's going on. And then you get tossed into this, basically the jungle where you start facing enemies that will kick your ass. Like just normal, a couple of hellhounds come around the corner and you could be dead before you know it if you're not being careful and paying attention. So it's definitely got that difficulty curve. And like I said, I got back to that point that I hit when I originally quit on PS2 and it was this boss that just, it has a special move that it hits your party with every freaking negative status in the game. So you go from doing good, chipping away at them to everybody's confused, attacking each other. They're blind, they're silent, they're poisoned. It's everything across the board. So it's kind of a pain in the ass. You, But working through it is is pretty rewarding in its own way. And it was not as frustrating as I remember and I actually beat him in the first try because I don't know I think I'm just better overall I'm more patient now and understand a lot more about video game logic <laughs> in this day and age I guess I don't know but from there I also started streaming the game I did a couple of runs through that now I believe or maybe it was just the one but I had a great time doing it it's <laughs> it's a fun game to stream and scream at um I played like almost five hours of it, a little drunk, very profane, a little racy and non-PC, but oh, so dramatic. And I do look forward to streaming it more, so keep an eye out for that. Some more kind of retro gaming, it's kind of been my theme lately. Like I said, I, I think before, I, don't, I can't remember how much I've talked about this on, on my various podcasts now, but I got my PS1, 2, and 3 kind of vibe going again. I fired up all those old games. I got kind of the emulation versus console fight going on where the original hardware is solid, but the slow loading that you get versus the lightning fast loading and upscaled, but sometimes buggy visuals of emulation, stuff like no sky loading and inconsistent textures, it, it goes both ways. It's, it's weird. But like, after I got my PS3 working again, that was the original fat one, so that plays PS1 and 2 games. So I got to fire up some stuff in that, and yeah, everything just runs rock solid in those. They're just as good as you remember, if not better, but then popping over to the PC, running through my mid-tier monster machine here, I mean, god, you can make... It's, it's hard to compare, because I wouldn't say that, like, I played Crash Team Racing on here, I wouldn't say that it looks like a modern game, but it looks incomparable to the original. Like playing the original on any PlayStation hardware does it no justice compared to what it looks like and can look like on a PC. Now, again though, running it in, in an emulator, there are glitches like disappearing textures again on the road, but it's still perfectly fast, more than playable, looks better than it ever possibly could on any of the consoles. So it's definitely worth checking out. And with those, I am going legit. The, I'm not downloading ROMs and doing all that crap with these games because it's kind of a different generation, different kind of logic to me than the older consoles, like the, the NES, Super Nintendo, Genesis. That's, that stuff's hard to find. It's much more rare. It can be super expensive. So it's, I don't know, it's a different market, but it's, it's still the same gray area. But with my emulation for the PS1 forward, like I'm using the actual discs and... Now I've also got a GameCube and a, I've got my GameCube out. I was playing some games with that, 
but also got a Wii now that plays GameCube games, and that will do 480p at least on a flat screen with the component cables. So component cables for the GameCube are outrageously expensive from what I've heard and seen, but for the Wii, they're five, 10 bucks, no big deal. So firing those up, there's a certain first couple of generations of the Wii that are compatible with GameCube games. They've even got four plugins on the top for GameCube controllers and the memory card slot. So fully functional with almost everything except for the the game, the Super Game Boy player, which I have as well for my, um, my GameCube, which is awesome. But without that component cable, everything looks really fuzzy. So kind of shine away from that for now. But with the, the Wii, there's ways to soft mod that where you can um, put your games onto an SD card and then load those up on a PC as well. Because I don't think, I'm not positive you, if you could play the GameCube games on a PC. It, it seems ridiculous that you wouldn't be able to, but I don't know. There's Where there's a will, there's a way. So that's something I still want to check out. Like there's some GameCube games, like I've, you can see, of course there's gameplay footage online and some of the stuff that blew me away was the Rogue Squadron games from GameCube. Seeing those played on a modern PC with crazy like graphics upgrades, like all the resolution that they provide, oh my God. It's, it's crazy that, again, the assets from back then are so detailed and so amazing looking when you can actually see them in their full glory. Oh, it's exciting. But I don't know. From playing these game various GameCube and Wii games, I've determined that I do truly hate Mario Kart in all its versions. It's just not my idea of fun or fair. Um, I'm also kind of not a fan of the Mario games anymore. Like, I feel like there's better 3D action platformers because I started playing Sunshine again, and I don't know, the controls kind of bug me. And then same thing for the Galaxy games. I've got Mario Galaxy 2 on loan here, and I started playing it, played it for a couple of nights and just got bored. It's probably like one of the best well thought out Mario games, but it just, it has no, no motivating factors, no momentum to it. That's going to carry me through it. Like I'd rather just play uncharted or something that, that does action and platforming in today's standards. So I don't know. It's, it's just me. It's my opinion. So rip me apart online if you like but yeah i i guess i'm just not a fan of the big red m it's weird um from there oh some of the other stuff i've been taking in finally got into um altered carbon i watched a couple episodes of that on netflix and it takes place in the future i don't know when it's a time where people can transfer consciousness between human bodies so everybody's become more or less immortal if you can afford it. The main character was a criminal hitman, bounty hunter of some sort. He's been revived now to help out a, I think a centuries old zillionaire who had been killed and resurrected, but doesn't know by who or why. I'm only a couple episodes in, so I don't know anything really. So no spoilers, really. <laughs> this show is very vulgar, profane, very naked. Like there's literally ding dongs and vajayjays flapping around. It's got 
Great art design though, especially in the first episode, there's a shootout with these little mercenary type guys that are just awesome. It's something out of a, a freaking anime that's just great. It's pretty well written, very well acted. There's already been a couple nice surprises and I'm definitely looking forward to more. Other things I'm gonna be taking in in the near future here. Um, gotta see Black Panther because I mean, it's all the rage. It's doing well. It's got good reviews. It's making a ton of money out there. Um, what else was there? There's Far Cry 5 still coming. That's like next month. Um, still working on guests for the show because nothing's really come together on that. And like I said, it's been this video game's doldrums. I've just been playing games, but haven't had much to talk about. And even this episode is only going to be like 30, 40 minutes long. So yeah. It's just a weird time to be podcasting about video games, I guess. But I do have some more ideas coming. Um, just got to get my crap together. And from there, what else? What else? I think that's kind of it, guys. That's what I've been doing. Tell me what you've been doing. Come on. Uh, send me some emails. Tweet at me. I got oh, the phone drama. Oh, boy. Save that for another podcast. That was some hell that I went through recently. Um, but yeah, hit me up. Let's, let's BS about what the hell you've been doing. Um, I'd also like to hook up with more people online, play some games. I need to get back into Gran Turismo Sport. I know that because everybody wants to hear about my racing game exploits, of course, but I've got it back. I think I talked about that last time that I got it from Gamefly. It's still a little too expensive to keep, but I might just pull the trigger around here eventually. Once it hits like $30, I think I'll do it. But um, getting back into that, I need to get back into Project Cars 2 as well. They've made huge updates to that game now a couple of times, and I haven't played it in, God, literally months, I think, at this point. So, got that to look forward to. Um, lots of Final Fantasy 12 in the near future, because that's going to take a while. <sighs> but yeah, that's what I got going on, kids. So, until next time, I am Jason Chevron Chops. This has been the Well-Adjusted Gamer Podcast. I will talk to you again soon, maybe. Maybe.